You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. Hi, my name is Roxanne Varza, director at Station F, the world's largest startup campus located in Paris, and this is the second episode of Station F, the podcast. Today is a quite exceptional podcast with an exceptional investor. We have a chance to welcome Arlen Hamilton. Arlen, hello. Hey, how you doing? Um, so she is the founder of Backstage Capital. She's really working hard to shake the VC ecosystem, the Valley, to promote investment in companies founded by women and people coming from underrepresented backgrounds. Um, and so we're talking to her in France for the first time. So we'll get to that in just a second. Station F podcast, startup good news. Hi, Aurélie, you're the co-founder of Cuvée Privé. Great to have you here. Thank you. Um, so you guys are in the HEC program at Station F, and now I know you have good news to share, but before we get into it, I have to tell you, I'm super intrigued by what you guys do. Um, does the platform essentially let you make your own wine? Um, basically, Cuvée Privé allows one to adopt uh, vines during a year or more, uh, to follow your vines and to receive your own wine. It's not the wine that is going to be produced by, by the very vines you have followed, uh, but it is the wine that has been produced by the vineyard that you will follow during a year. You will understand everything that is going on in the vineyard. You will meet the winemaker. And at the end of the year, you will receive six bottles of the next vintage uh, personalized with your name. Super. So tell me, how does it actually work? I sign up and what happens? Yes. So you sign up. You choose uh, the vineyard that you that you love. Uh, amongst our exceptional vineyards uh, on the on QV Freeway websites. Um, you choose, for example, I want to adopt six vines for a year. Uh, so you will uh, you will first receive a welcome box uh, containing uh, bottles from uh, from the, the previous vintage to discover the wine. Uh, you will have information about the the, the vineyards, the winemaker. You will have a certificate of adoption uh, and an invitation to to meet the winemaker during the year. So. Throughout the year, you will follow your you will follow your vines uh, every month. You will receive uh, monthly newsletters, and um, the aim is uh, to make you understand what is going on uh, in the vineyard. So you will meet the winemaker. You will take part in events if you want, for example, tastings, uh, workshops at the vineyards, uh, harvest. Um, and so, uh, and at the end of the year, you will receive your final box containing six uh, personalized bottles uh, of the next vintage. That's incredible. So it's better than making my own wine because I'm like a domain co-owner or something. That's it. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so now not only your business is super interesting, but your team is also quite unusual. You have three female co-founders. I have to say that's Awesome. Congrats. Um, at a time when everyone is talking about women in tech, there was just this new sister agreement that was signed. Uh, I'd love to hear your take on things. Mm -hmm, sure. Um, yes, we're uh, three women in the wine world, which is, uh, yeah, it's, it's not it's not very usual. Um, we were, uh, the three of us were at, H at HEC, we were in the wine club. Uh, and Mary, my co-founder, is the daughter of a winemaker in Champagne. Um, and we were thinking about creating a business um, in the wine industry in France uh, and so we we thought okay there are plenty of ways to buy wine in France but it's very it's not personal it's not uh, friendly you don't know very much about the vineyard and the winemaker so we, we've launched this new concept to uh, buy wine differently with an experience uh, behind the bottle and yes so we're three women uh, it was um, mm, 
It has not been a problem so far. Uh, it's uh, it's very original. So winemakers are like, oh, it's uh, it's nice to to. It's very different. So um, so it, it makes people laugh, and now it's uh, it's pretty 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 good. Super. I find that a very interesting response. It hasn't been a problem so far. I really <laughs> hope it won't be a problem ever. Um, and actually, I think it will be a huge benefit. Um, so now for your good news, you guys just raised one million. And even though celebrating fundraising is uh, a bit silly because it's actually where the hard part starts, the work actually starts now. Um, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your development plans. Yes, uh, our devel development plans are um, developing internationally. So we've just launched um, a a month ago, our uh, website in the UK, um, we we do think that the Cuvée Privé concept um, does make sense in uh, in every country in the world uh, where there are wine lovers. For example, if you're a um, if you're a, a British uh, a British wine lover, you you will love uh, owning your uh, the part of a, of a vineyard of a prestigious vineyard in France. It's very symbolic. And uh, and our clients love learning uh, about uh, about the winemaking process. So the main develop development plan is to develop firstly in the UK and in the medium term, in the long term, and it will maybe need a second a second fundraising in uh, in Asia. Um, and so we need to to gain uh, to gain uh, fame uh, in terms of concepts, and we need to recruit to to hire people. So it was the uh, the second uh, second part of the the, the fundraising uh, reasons. Super. Well, it sounds like very ambitious plans, and hopefully the UK is ready for you guys. I think the the market there will definitely be interested. Um, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Station F podcast. Focus. Now we're back with Arlen Hamilton. So you are the founder of Backstage Capital, a seed stage investment fund that you created in 2015. Since the beginning, you've invested $5 million in more than 100 companies, and now you have over 30 employees. But when we have a look at your portfolio of startups, it's not the typical ones that VCs are funding. Tell us about your portfolio. Yeah, so now we're, I think we've deployed... Seven million into a hundred. Seven million, not companies. five. <laughs> yeah, it's growing, and we are a little different, or a lot different than most of the VC funds you'll see in the states, where most of those, if you look at their portfolios, they have less than ten percent of their founders are uh, underrepresented, and if you look at ours, ninety-nine point nine percent of our founders are from underrepresented backgrounds are, are underrepresented themselves. That's incredible. Um, and I'm we're going to get into the, the details and the nitty gritty of it in a second. But just tell me, give me a couple of examples of entrepreneurs and companies that you guys are backing. Yeah, we have backed a company called Capway, which is a fintech company by Sheena Allen and Tim Lampkin. Uh, both of them are from Jackson, Mississippi, which is a small town, actually where I was born. Not many people know that. And they are targeting the underbanked and the unbanked. So people who literally hide their money under their bed mattresses and sometimes in holes in the backyard because they don't trust banks. That's or incredible. because they've had bad experiences with banks or because they can't get into a bank. And this is a like multi-billion dollar group of people if you can tap into adding that trust and getting them on platforms. And so Capway has done that. We met them very early on, and they recently uh, had their latest round led by Alexis Ohanian and uh, initialized uh, 
Ventures. Really excited about that and what they're going to do next. I've also invested, I've invested in 130 companies, so it's, uh, there are no favorites. I don't pick favorites. But another one that comes to mind is um, Hot Hijab, which sells hijabs, uh, luxury hijabs, and uh, they uh, source all types of really great materials and styles and curate. And they have just exploded over the last few months and a couple of years where um, they were having a hard time getting funding from traditional, I guess is the word, uh, investors. And I met with them in New York. That's a couple, uh, Melanie and Ahmed. I met with them for 15 minutes and I knew I was going to invest. And then um, they just took that and ran with it and really have hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue uh, uh, on a a recurring basis. Incredible. So it sounds like some actually very different businesses from what we would hear about a normal Silicon Valley investor, quote unquote. (laughs) Sort of. I mean... Honestly, there because we have so many investments, we really do. Some of them would match what you are used to. I mean, we have a lot uh, of SaaS companies. We have a lot of AI companies. All of the the buzzwords and the things that you're hearing, and and I don't know if I like the word normal because that means we're abnormal. Um, maybe boring is a good word. For that. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, it just really runs the gamut because we're agnostic and we're agnostic by design. Great. I love it. Um, And what I love even more is actually your personal story. And I think uh, I saw a quote from you saying that just a few years ago you were on food stamps and here you are today with this incredible fund um, that you've essentially built from the ground up. And you guys, you mentioned it's even over 100 companies that you guys have worked with today. So like, number one, that's incredible. Number two, what does that path even look like? How did how did you do all of that? Wow, well, it's a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm 30, 30, I'm in my late 30s, we'll say that. Because I don't, well, I don't mind saying it. I just don't know when this is going to air. <laughs> we'll I'm, make it not too late. I am 38 or 39 right now. Um, but, I, you know, I spent the first 35 of those years just kind of not having a stable living situation all the time had some wonderful experiences. I, I don't want anyone to think that I had this miserable life, you know. It was never like that, but it was really hard to make ends meet, and there's a lot of institutional things um, that led to that and a lot of personal decisions that led to that and a combination of both. And the bottom line was that I had no money when I, at the same time, I was uh, learning about the tech startup world and venture capital and the innovation that it could it could back. And... I had it in my mind to disrupt what was going on and nothing was going to stop me. Um, as long as I was doing things legally and ethically, I was not going to be stopped. And that's why, that's how we got here. So how did, how did you discover VC? How did you discover investment? Well, VC in particular, simply because kind of came about because I, I didn't have any my own money, so I couldn't be an angel investor and um, private equity is a just a different um, venture capital is part of the private equity asset class, but private equity in itself was just not going to um, move the needle the way that I was was hoping. So I learned about startups first. I learned about founders. I learned about all of the cool, innovative things that people were creating out of their apartments, out of their garages, what have you, co-working spots, et cetera. And it was just really exciting to me. So I just started like devouring every piece of information I could get my hands on. 
And that's when I started seeing, oh, okay, there are these disparities in the amount of capital that's going to certain groups. And it really is, um, it looks like it's because there aren't that many of those groups writing the checks. So you have, on one hand, this is in 2013-14, you have 90% or more white men getting funding, and, and lo and behold, 90% of, or more of venture capitalists, the people who put the innovative, risky, experimental capital behind startups, they were white males. So it just seemed to me that one way to get more funding to underrepresented founders would be to have more underrepresented check writers. And I wanted to be one of those. I love it. I think we're going to come to a minute about what is actually the equation and how do we change what, what we're seeing today. Um, but I'm actually just curious. So when you, when you launched Backstage, what was the reaction from other VCs? Oh, when we first launched, it was just me and and Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> my my access to Twitter, and um, I don't think people took took it very seriously. Some of them were in agreement that there was something wrong, and that um, perhaps something should be done about it. But I don't think they figured I would be the one to do something about it. And then others just really weren't looking in, in our direction at all you know it was this this little um kind of probably annoying voice to them that was getting in the way of of status quo and that was shake rocking the boat and so you had some people who kind of actively wanted me to stop talking about it and stop trying and um, i just raced on by those people they were not and I'm sure things have changed now quite a bit. Oh yeah, I say I say they used to call me crazy. Now they just now they just call me. So <laughs> it's true. So you know you had it ran the gamut. Then you had some people who were like really cool and who were like, "That sounds interesting. You're going to target only underrepresented founders. That could work." You know, you did have some people who thought it could work, who wished me well, and were going to be champions on the sidelines. So you mentioned earlier some of the numbers, and I want to just come back to them because we have, uh, we've seen a lot of different studies, for example, in France saying that less than 2% of startup financing goes to female founders. I don't know that we actually even have numbers for black or Latino founders or people of other origins in France, um, but I think those numbers are even lower in the U.S. And so you mentioned that part of it's also because the capital is being deployed by primarily white males. Is it just a simple equation of changing who's deploying the capital or is there more or something else that we can do? It's some of it. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like that's like their first uh, step, I think. It makes the most sense to me and that's why I put myself in this position to, to be an example of that. There are several black and brown and women investors um, already and there were before me, certainly, but they're just so few compared to white men. And so I don't think that it's just one step that changes everything. I think it's a combination of things, that being a really big step towards it. Other parts of it are, um, I just spoke at uh, an, an event where that had 400 general partners from 400 different funds uh, across Europe. And I, I asked them, could they come together and allocate a very a small percentage, one digit percentage, if they wanted to start that way, uh, for the next three years, and put that uh, earmarked for underrepresented founders, not for charity and not to make themselves feel good, but to just 
see if we're right to experiment the same way they some of these funds carve out money for blockchain and for autonomous vehicles and for AI, this is another trend that they can look at in that way if they don't want to think about the personal, emotional aspect of it. I think there are a lot of different tacks to use, and I'm just kind of going for the most logical and the most um, the low-hanging fruit, of, as it were. More people who look like me, more women, uh, more more uh, black and brown founders, you're going to have more people getting that capital. It's just, um, I think it's a given, and we've already seen it starting that way. So something that I've often heard, and I've, it's really kind of shocked me to hear this, but um, I'm interested to hear your reaction, is that you'll, I mean, we'll put aside this money, like what you've suggested, and then you'll always have some of your traditional VCs that will say, well, we're looking for females, or we're looking for people from different backgrounds, but we just don't find them. I often, I just wonder sincerely if they've ever, if they like go outside at all. <laughs> do they, like, how do they exist without, don't they know? Let's just start with women. Just women. Women created them. Like, they, there's a woman in every man's life, at least one, because they were born from woman. Women nurture and nourish the entire population. We're everywhere. And, like, logically, I try to appeal to smart men's logic, their sense of logic. Logically, uh, maybe she's not advertising it to you that she has a company, but logically there are women surrounding you who are starting companies or who have had companies out there. In a lot of cases, these companies are already generating revenue because – underrepresented founders tend to go towards um, bootstrapping and making things work before they go towards asking for outside capital. So it's like a gold mine that you're just missing out on because you want to throw your hands in the air and say, I, I don't know where to find them. Like, think about the, the playground you're in right now. You're playing around with autonomous vehicles, with robots, with all sorts of drones, Things that boggle the mind, things that 100 years ago wouldn't have even been uh, imaginable. But you can't find a woman who's starting a company? Look harder. Be better. So for you, it's impossible to even fathom yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a blissful ignorance that is annoying. Agreed. Um, so you mentioned earlier that when you, you've seen a lot of change since when you lo- launched the fund a few years ago. But tell me specifically, what are you actually seeing changing in the ecosystem? I think most of what I've seen is people feeling empowered and emboldened. People who are underrepresented, um, understanding their value and understanding that they don't have to wait for permission. They can go out and be profitable on their own. And if the investors want a piece of that, they're welcome to ask. I I mean, truly, that's what's happening right now. And it's so used to be this sort of docile, can we, knocking on the door lightly, can we please come in, can we please be part of this? Even if they uh, knocked, you know, it was almost like, oh, I'm not supposed to be in that room. Now it's like, okay, we, we have the party going on over in this other room. The room is better. It's more fun. It's more profitable. If you want a ticket to it, you can come by and ask, right? That's what really has changed in the last five years. It is now um, the, the understanding of, of value and worth is so prevalent and so palpable 
that it's just like it's mag it's like a it's like an explosion so the tables have really just turned yeah i think so and i think over the next 18 months or so you're going to see explosive change that's just going to be that uh you know times 10. So, so tell me a little bit about your investment criteria and how do you verify when you meet a company that they fit your values? We decided early on not to um, have anyone have to prove that they are uh, the, in the categories that we have, which is a woman, person of color, or LGBTQ. So we, you don't have to prove that out to us. Um, we do get people who... who will be straight white men who will apply for capital and we will remind them that we are this is what we invest in and we let them sort of self-select out of that because then they, they either didn't read at all what we're doing or you know just took a shot so uh it's not for us to kind of police that and so far we haven't had any issues and anyone feeling like they've been um you know discriminated against so far uh, criteria, we're agnostic by design. We want to cast a wide net. So we have all sorts of uh, industries and, and sectors that we're in. We have many people on the team who are able to make investment decisions, e either autonomously or in small groups. And so you have all kinds of taste uh, that runs the gamut as well. Um, and we don't really, we don't say, okay, you have to have X amount of recurring revenue monthly or be at this stage or we really are agnostic and so um, and it's growing so fast and so um, the speed at which we evolve is so quick as well that what I may have been interested in six months ago may not be the case today and and so on and so forth so it's really hard to tell people exactly what we're looking for so I'm wondering, though, I mean, you get these these white men that apply. Does that mean that you guys don't invest in people who do not essentially fit your investment right. criteria? Right. So if if they were LGBTQ, they would you know, yeah. have investments. Here's how I look at it. And a lot of some people, of course, have accused us of being discriminatory. And, and, and you know, that makes no sense when you look at how little resources we get. But here's how I look at it. I'm disciplined in my thesis. If I had a fintech company and you brought me a real estate deal or you brought me a cloud deal, even if I thought it was going to do really well, I'm not going to invest in that because that's not part of my thesis. We are investing in underrepresented founders as our thesis, and that's what we will continue to do. We are offered many times on the flip side of that, not from an ignorance, from like a, a standpoint of, hey, do you want to be in this awesome round? We are offered, and I personally am offered, quite often rounds with straight white men, they're going to do well, and they're like, of course you'd want to be in this. And I say, thank you, Noah, I will cheer you on from the sidelines. I'm interested in underrepresented founders. That's where I think my wealth will come from, and that's where all of my energy is going. And you guys have launched an acceleration program not too long ago. How's yeah. that going? We launched in four cities, September 2018, Los Angeles, Detroit, Philadelphia, and in London. And we are going to be doing a big tour in 2020 to go meet with eco local e ecosystems across several countries, uh, definitely across the U.S., to see where we go next. We had 1,900 applications in five weeks. We chose 24 companies. We gave them each $100,000 in exchange for 5% equity. 
and um, had some amazing uh, turnout. And we did a report, uh, the Accelerator Cohort 1 report from BackstageCapital.com. You can search for that. There is a a website link, but I can't think of it. Um, But just do a Google for that. And it's like a 30-page report, and it has a lot of our findings. Terrific. So it's going very well. Yeah, it's going really well as far as the execution and uh, uh, that playing out. And we are hoping that we have more resources for it um, moving forward. That's why we're having some conversations. So I'm just wondering, so much has, has changed, and I feel like you've definitely witnessed a lot of difference since when you started a few years ago. What still needs to be done? What for you are the big battles that we need to be concentrating on? There's a lot. I mean, there's definitely optimism on my part because I don't think I could do what I'm doing if I didn't see change year after year. So it's different. I mean, it, like I said before, uh, and there are a lot of allies who are getting it and are just like stepping up and being amazing. I still think that underrepresented founders are, are sort of pigeonholed into this down and out charity case that all like everyone would benefit from changing that and reframing that in their minds um we can't we can't simply think that a black founder is someone who doesn't have money or a black founder is someone who um needs uh our help rather looking at them as wow that's they're a founder first and foremost and what are they working on oh that's an amazing company and because of their background, because of the skin they walk around in it every day, perhaps they have uh, uh, a higher uh, adaptability rate, which is really great in a founder, or this and that. So just kind of repurposing and reframing um, what, how we think about underrepresented founders. I think that's huge. And then there just needs to be simply more capital that is deployed into the hands of underrepresented founders. It is still the numbers haven't changed much. And some one of the years in the past five years, the actual numbers dipped for women. So it's you said it's two percent here. It's two point two percent in the states. Point two percent of that goes to black women, which means that of the hundred and thirty billion dollars that was deployed in venture capital in 2018, uh, 260 million went to black women, which is the size of the venture round for a company called Plaid, which is one fintech company, went to all black women in the States. That's That's abhorred. It's insulting. It makes no sense. It's illogical. And there's a ton of room for disruption there. So I would, I would encourage anyone who has the means, who works with institutional LPs, um, come find me or, or get together and, and we can disrupt this. Incredible. And I'm wondering also for you personally, where are you going to be concentrating your energy? Because you're, we mentioned some of the changes that have to happen. Mm-hmm. But what are, what are you going to be looking at specifically? Over what time period? Uh, let's talk about the next two years. The next two years are going to be, so I'll talk, I'll just kind of frame it the way I talk to my team. So the first two uh, pillars of four happened to us and we were able to reflect and, and identify the first being vision started off with the vision of what this could be in 2020 or you know I said I was going to invest in 100 companies by 2020 I said that in 2014 people thought I was crazy 2018 we invest in our 100th company the second uh, pillar and in, in, in order was execution so from 2015 to 2017 we were heads down 
and just built this out to where you see it today and, and added that infrastructure. 2018, I talked to the team and I said, now we're in the amplification mode, amplifying the work that we've done, becoming our own case study, and hopefully people mimicking what we're doing and finding inspiration in what we're doing. And so the last 12 months, you've seen a lot of backstage and my face around the place, and that was on purpose. Uh, certainly most of it was inbound, but the amplification of our work was very paramount to us. This next pillar is about compounding interest, both compounding interest financially and in the interest of what we do and what we do. So the next two years, uh, personally, I am going to be spending, first and foremost, supporting our portfolio. That is my number one job. Second number second job is to raise more capital and to raise it at a 10x, raise it at a 100x than what we've raised. So we've raised 10 million or so dollars. We need a $100 million fund. We need a $250 million fund over the next two years. And I will be working towards that. And then the the third thing is I um, have a book that's coming out. My first book is on Penguin Random House Currency. It comes out in uh, quarter two of 2020. And I'm very excited about that. It will be in pre-order very soon, so take a look at that. There's going to be a lot of uh, uh, messaging around that, a lot of media around that. I've also um, been having... Um, many conversations and a couple of deals that have happened in the space of television, film, um, uh, um, scripted podcasts, things of that nature. We're, talk- we're, we're talking about media, amplifying what we're doing, representation, all those things. So it's just compounding on all of the work that we've done. And so I'm going to spend that time doing that and hopefully becoming a, a better and better leader and we'll also start to see some of our bets, our early bets, flourish in a way that we haven't so far because of timing. And uh, I'll spend a lot of time working on myself to make sure that I don't uh, become intolerable when I'm wealthy. Wow, that is quite a lot. Um, <laughs> you asked. <laughs> I am so thrilled to read your book. I can't wait. Thank you. <laughs> and so, uh, gosh, I, I almost don't, I don't want to wrap this up because it's been so interesting. But thank you so much for being here with us. It's been a pleasure, Arlen. Thanks for having me. All right. This is already the end of our third episode. Thanks a lot for listening. Please give us all your feedback by Twitter or by email at press at stationf.co. Arlen and Aurélie, thank you both so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, make sure to follow us and don't miss out on next episodes. We're available on all your usual podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, and TuneIn. All right, see you guys soon.